0: Thanks again as always for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash. Chills at Will Podcast, Peter Real. My name, of course, is P E T E R R I E H L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast, Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills of Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access Patreon membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, okay like said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison. Or The Power of Flashback was one episode, which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2, Sleepers, and that was then, This Is Now. With the all-access patron membership, you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the Chills at Will podcast logo, and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news. You will get a shout-out on a future episode, too. With the VIP patron tier, which is $10 a month, you'll get access to all episodes, a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020. And it has been an absolute pleasure. 99.999% fun. I've gotten to interview people like Disha Filia. What? Matt Bell. Brandon Hobson. Luis Alberto Orea, Gene Guerrero. Gustavo Arellano. Taylor Bias. Gabby Bates. Alice Elliot Dark. Nadia Owusu. And so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman, Ingrid Rojas-Contreras, Jamil John Kochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks, Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Reina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Kato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Duraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include Conversations with Robert Jones Jr., with Allegra Hyde, With Justin Tinsley, Javier Zamora, Tommy Dean, Elizabeth Williamson, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, so, so, so many cool people. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 151 of the Chills of Will podcast. What a pleasure today to be joined by Allison Adele Hedge-Coke and a bit about her. A bit about her. There's so much to say, but this is a fairly short biography. Allison Adele Hedge-Coke's previous poetry books include The Year of the Rat, Dog Road Woman, Off-Season City Pipe, Blood Run, Burn, Streaming, as well as a memoir, Rock Ghost, Willow, Deer. She is the editor of the anthologies Sing, Poetry of the Indigenous Americas, Effigies, Effigies 2, and Effigies 3, and is a distinguished professor at the University of California, Riverside. Hedgecoat came of age working fields, factories, and waters, and is currently at work on a film, Red Dust, Resiliency in the Dirty 30s, a new CD, and new poems. And again, that's just a slice of it. How do you have time to sleep? How do you have time to think? How do you have time to reflect? Welcome. And man, you're busy, huh?
1: Yeah, busy. Uh, it's good busy, though. You know how they say.
0: Tell us a little bit about what you got coming up as well. You said, uh, you know, uh, tomorrow. So we're recording this on November 5th. Happy what would have been 105th birthday to my grandma on November 5th. Oh, sweet. <laughs> right. What uh, what do you got going on, you know, this tomorrow, the 6th and and, and ongoing?
1: Yeah, and coincidentally, my parents uh, will be over 100 now if they were still alive. Right. Yeah, and my, my paternal grandparents were born in 1878 and 1882. Wow. Crazy to think about, right? <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> Crazy, but like taught, right? So this time, at this time, uh, I leave the podcast here. I head into... Uh, LA, Santa Monica, and uh, record a, a segment for Poetry LA uh, with Linda Ravenswood. we lo- really looking forward okay. to having a poet conversation with her. And then uh, Sunday, I head out to Atlanta, uh, catch a flight and picked up and I'm taken to a different university each day next week wow. on the Georgia Poetry Circuit, which is a really great Uh, circuit to be invited to read for its invitation and uh you come out twice once in fall once in spring hit five different universities each time for the state of georgia so super cool and come back on saturday and then sunday night next at midnight jump on a plane head to new york and get ready for the National Book Awards. Look at this, Blue as a uh, finalist. Oh,
0: congratulations.
1: Thank you. So super excited.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, that sounds so fun and so cool. It's like, uh, you know, poetry is thriving. For those who want to yeah. say that it's not, poetry is thriving. That's great.
1: It's a definite thing. Yeah.
2: Oh, So
0: cool. I'd love to know, you know, going back to, to your childhood, growing up as you talk about, you know, multiracial, um, Mainly you know Cherokee right and Huron Her- am I saying that pronoun- pronounced yeah. correctly mm-hmm. right with with Portuguese and alsace Lorraine I don't know I say Alsacian, Lorrainian <laughs> right yeah. and yeah. all kinds of 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 you know ethnicities and identities I wonder like did you was were you monolingual English English did you speak other languages um and then also just about the printed word and about the written word how that yeah. was a part of your growing up
1: Yeah, my my, uh, father uh, primarily raised us. My mother was there, but she was suffering with schizophrenia when I was young and uh, so unable to uh, partake in a lot of... uh, normal things that mothers would do in a house uh, and or what people assume mothers would do in a house. Not every mother's the same. I, I'm glad my kids survived me. <laughs> I was like winging it all the way through. So, you know, in a stereotypical way, she was not able, but she was present with us. And my father really respected her, which was a, a great thing. Uh, but he was extremely proud of his uh, heritage, his lineage had uh, shaped him, formed him it was who he was as were his parents and uh of all of their ethnicities all of their lineages and stories in the family um and we're a couple of generations from fluencies and anything other than english but i don't know that we're actually as fluent in english as we should be i have some language issues uh i uh, was stammering and uh word order sometimes i'll say syllables in three different words, mixed up. So the three words will come out, but the syllables are interchanged. So I have all these things going on with language, which is interesting. Uh, but uh, some turkey was spoken in the home. Uh, there was on occasion, some uh, wind thanks uh, kind of things that happened in the home. Uh, definitely uh, some Portuguese language, definitely some French language, as well as neighbors and people we knew from uh extended family my father was the youngest of nine his brothers married all kinds of different people we have uh various other families within our family uh with other languages as well uh Spanish was nearby a lot um uh just depending on on what it was but also other native languages and we traveled extensively my grandparents were alive in Canada at the time I'm a dual citizen by birth and my mother came down post world War II. uh so through that we also learned languages along the way we as kids, I rode in in rodeo and we used to stop at Hardin and Cofair every year on the way to canada and uh and we'd pick up the language while we were there as well. My mom's father was born on Big Stone Lake, which later became uh a state divider between South Dakota and Minnesota, but that was Mm pre-statehood and languages up there were familiar to me as a child, as well as in Alberta. So we had, you know, a rhapsody of languages around us. And my father's instruction was always to be a good guest. You don't impose your own on people. You learn what's spoken. So when we were sitting in anyone's house, and they had a primary language, Uh, we learned enough of it to get by, which I still do when I travel before I go. You know, I will will study up on things before I leave Mm. and see if I can be at least conversational enough to ask for uh, simple things or to uh, politenesses uh, uh, in exchanges with people. So I think language for me is uh, a main thrum in childhood, but also music. I come from a very musical family, and actually think in music first before i get to language and i think it enables me to learn language easier because i'm often picking up on the musicality of things mm. uh, so that i'm hearing the language in that way first and when i'm learning the verbiage that goes with it i have the uh, music in place sooner mm-hmm. and so it helps me adapt to other languages my younger son uh, both my kids are esl but my younger son there were other influences in the home when he was young uh, as well, other languages spoken um, that I didn't come up with. And it was really funny because when he was in Head Start, they pulled me aside. You know, I used to teach k twelve like you do. And when he was in Head Start, they pulled me aside and said, he's ESL. And I go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. And they said, but they said, here's the funny thing. And they pulled out a box of crayons and walked over to him and instructed him to pull out, you know, just look at a different crayon they kind of poke it out to him he'd pull it out and they'd ask him the name and each crayon he had in a different language which was kind of hysterical depending on who taught him uh, that wow <laughs> Yeah, so he had the whole box of crayons but it was multilingual <laughs> which amazing. i thought was an advantage i thought this is kind of super cool you yeah, know yeah right yeah so i haven't spoke french since i was like five mm. but i did come up with that and you know there's also portuguese on my mom's side where you know family on that side as well and so we also you know had music and and some language from that side of the family um too the, the luso side of us
2: wow yeah
0: what a that, I feel like that's a poem prompt the uh, the idea of the crayons and each one having a different <laughs> language behind could
1: it could be
0: could be yeah have you ever heard of the portuguese uh, i think it's pronounced fado
1: Yes, oh yes, I've been to Fado concerts, been to Fado oh, okay. restaurants, been to yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to, you know, spend time in Portuguese communities in the States, although uh-huh. we're Canadian and uh but also in Portugal. But we're right. Asauras. Our family is from the Azores and also oh, okay. Madeira and uh uh so island people. Right. Uh, and uh my uh, grandfather back that came over was Shanghai'd. He was shanghai by Spaniards uh-huh. and forced to row on a ship and he jumped boat. And uh, so I'm descended from two slaves. He was enslaved and, uh, and uh, on the uh, southeastern side, Betsy Walker and her brother Richard Walker were also enslaved as children. Uh, so I'm descended from uh, slaves within the Cherokee community and slave uh, from Portugal. Wow. Yes, two slaves in the family. Oh, my gosh.
0: Maybe well, that's maybe-
1: you know, something in, in, in me that, you know, I haven't really dealt with at this point, but I think of oh. from time to time.
0: Well, there's, it's an amazing start to, to your memoir, which is broken up into seven chapters, seven sections. Yeah. The memoirs, you know, Rock, Ghost, Willow, Deer. And the first chapter is called Of Seeds. And you write, Quote, I descend from mobile and vig- village peoples, interracial, ingenious, adventurous and bold, none famous, none of any more than humble means, though in this great ancestral river thoroughly blood-streamed, true. I am born from those so devoted to their beliefs and way of living they would eagerly choose to be memorialized through songs or stories of honorable doings or maybe through sharing a bit of tobacco on special occasions rather than by accumulating material legacies in life. And man, when I first read that, I did not realize it was only one sentence. Man, that's smooth. <laughs> All right,
2: Thank you. before
0: me and around me were warriors, fighters, hunters, fishers, gatherers, growers, traders, midwives, runners, avid horse people, weavers, seamstresses, artists, craftspeople, musicians, storytellers, singers, linguists, dreamers, philosoph- philosophers. They were here on. Uh, and the word in Cherokee for Cherokee is Salagi.
1: One of the one of the ways to refer to yes
0: muskogee french canadian portuguese english alsace lorraine irish welsh and there was the insane i understood all of this by the age of three that last sentence is wow
2: thank you i yeah.
0: understood all of this by the age of three all of that all of those peoples, all of their histories the good the bad oh my gosh amazing
1: yeah um, was a great storyteller and he would just prop us up at the table and, mm-hmm. and in part uh and it was about the age of three that Uh, I think I actually just turned three, Uh, my sister came home from school, and I asked her, she was the only one of us that went to a kindergarten, Mm. the rest of us didn't start till first grade, but she came home, and I asked if any of the other mothers were like this, and she said, no, none of them, Mm. and so that was how soon, too, that I understood the delusions were something else. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, you, you wrote about, um, you know, oftentimes with what your father didn't say rather than what he did say that really transmitted communicated ideas of, you know, of his own history with a lot of great moments and also the, you know, the intergenerational traumas yeah of the Cherokee and, and you know, and others. And I mean, it's a good time to, to transition into your, I mean, your life is, seems like it's been devoted to art.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Right? We, I'm from a very artistic family and uh, it was not uh, even a choice that I I never thought of, okay, now I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. It was just something that we did even in the house with our dad. We just were always making things Mm -hmm. and, uh, and singing and carrying on. And I do, I do want to be clear. I'm not enrolled Cherokee, so I'm not, not a citizen. Mm -hmm. Uh, our lineage goes back generations, uh, to what became uh, eastern band of Cherokee Indians and uh, a lot of my lineages as well come from those mountains many of them mm. uh so so there's that part of the story as well which is you know also sort of akin to this other side of the family where you know both sides we end up being descended from slaves and uh, the departures there and what happens there and those removals you know and that trauma as well that happens from right. those removals from homeland uh, I was very fortunate also to be raised uh back and forth and uh have some primary upbringing in early 20s in north Carolina and have that return home
0: You know I'm so I mean what is it I guess what does it mean to to create on a daily basis and you know the 2022 collection is look at this blue yeah. Um so yeah I'd love to talk about just what it what it is for you to create I mean there's there's what documentaries being involved there's um you know, you're an editor, you've been part of so many anthologies, and then into 2022 with Look at This Blue. I'd love to know some of the seeds for that collection.
1: Yeah, so Look at This Blue is a phenomenon, and uh, I was, and I've told this story a few times now, uh, so I feel like I can divulge more easily. Uh, I was on a book deadline. I wasn't filling the book that I had ready to submit for that deadline, and I landed in Montenegro to do a Fulbright mm-hmm. and told my host I had a book deadline and a new book due. And she said, how much have you written? And I said, none. And she goes, when's the deadline? I said, now, but I've got the weekend. And she goes, well, I'm out of town for the weekend. You could use the apartment. And so uh, this collection was, uh, it's not really a collection. It's an assembled right. poem. Uh, it was literally uh, manifested over that weekend. Wow. uh, Yeah, so I overwrote, and we ended up taking some out, which is always a good thing when Uh. you can put it down. Uh, But it was a, uh, it's like in some ways, uh, very much compelled to write, very much uh, passionate about writing. I just unfolded on the page. Uh, all of my love for all of my concerns for calls for accountability indictments for the place I live and work California Mm. my knowledge of that uh, spreading back from the when I left North Carolina it was to escape domestic violence and I first went to Tennessee uh, in order to get a divorce and stayed there a very short time and then back in North Carolina and escape again and ended up in the tenderloin in San Francisco where my sister had become uh, a resident of and uh, so my first time in California was li- in literally in the tenderloin in in 1980 if people that know that area know what that was uh, and uh, and I've had now forty you know two years of back and forth to California and various jobs in California including Historical Interpretation and Collections Management Uh for the San Buenaventura. And I did my former field worker training in that county, in Ventura County. And they paid for uh, former field workers training who passed. They paid for those people who passed, like me, Mm -hmm. to have jobs in the county or the city and they paid five up to five years of our salary, the first year full, and then after that in increments. So the city created jobs for us. And mine was historical interpretation and then collections manager for the city. So I learned California history for that role coming from fieldwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my entry into that was a very different sort of framework. Um, but a lot of the work is lived A lot of it is witnessed and or uh, knowledge I gained from various positions I had or in the media, you know, just reading our news, what's going on. Uh, There's a lot of tributes in here. Uh, My family's in here as well because I brought my folks out when I found a safe place to live in Santa Paula, California in 1985. Did my former field worker training there and uh, moved my folks out. So they're also in here. So we're right back to my mom and dad somehow. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, yeah so
1: the book is a love letter and when you love something you love someone you hold them accountable
2: sure. and
1: so the crimes of the state are also in here
0: that's that's a great way to put it yes um and you're speaking about the tenderloin i i have i think the tenderloin shaped a lot of who i am i i did i did work my junior and senior i guess maybe sophomore junior and senior year in college at santa clara with project open hand in the tenderloin yeah Right, and I mean, just you know, we were you know delivering food to to homebound people, many with yeah. many with HIV um, yeah. and others, and um, I mean that yeah, yeah. kind of work, the kind of work uh, Tim, I'm forgetting his last name, the kind of work he did and the others did there was just
1: yeah,
0: oh, totally, totally.
1: yeah, yeah, so beautiful, yeah. What years was were you? I would
0: have been uh, like 2000 to 2003.
1: Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're 20 years pre that, mm-hmm. uh, different neighborhood, but the same in many ways. Uh, yeah. you, you might be familiar with a mural at the corner of Turk and Hyde. Yes. And uh, there's a little parking lot and there's a huge mural. So mm-hmm. midway up that mural was the flat that my sister had, wow. uh, with her then boyfriend, Clay Woody, who was Navajo and Chicano from Albuquerque. And there's a baseball on that windowsill. In the middle of the mural, right? Was,
0: you wrote about that he, in the book, yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. He used to give people cigars out the window and such, mm. and they threw baseball for him. He was a baseball writer. That's so
0: cool. <laughs> you, you were saying right? The ba- I mean, the baseball had nothing to do with the mural, right? But it's just a tribute. <laughs> to nothing him. to do with it. They used to it
1: with the clay, and so you can even uh-huh. see where we lived during that time just looking at the mural.
0: Oh, so cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a marker.
0: So, you know look at this blue um has has blurbs and, and praise from many um Juan felipe um I, I i knew through his um through his when he was the laureate and doing the the biggest poem in the world the greatest poem in the world oh, yeah. what an incredible guy just yeah. charismatic just uh you know luis j rodriguez of course the great one yeah, yeah. right i know i don't know him but i know seshu foster i mean these are some people who, some some heavyweights right
2: yeah, some, some
0: literary legends who have given great praise to the book, which which is so deserving of you. You kind of talked about a little bit, so you wouldn't call it a collection. What would you call it? I mean, it's,
1: it's an assembly, long poem, right?
0: I mean, isn't it? Okay, go ahead, please. You tell.
1: Yeah, and you know, I wrote it all in one beat. Uh, so uh, there's also that assemblage uh, again, musically driven. Mm-hmm. If you think about how improvisational jazz works, and when people are doing sets. Mm-hmm and as uh as something hits you and you move into a different thread a uh, different realization of where that is heading to and you take it off and riff and maybe there's solo departures and someone else picks up when that is coming and on so uh so it's set up musically like a lot of my books are sure. um if you go back and look through Uh, Some of them, you can see that structure that's embedded in it. There's usually a prelude. I used to have a coda at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those were mentioned specifically in streaming, but they're in everything I do. And in Look at This Blue, there's a refrain, which works as a chorus, and it variates. So every time there's a variation, uh, the title comes back. Look at this blue. And then there's a different type of creature that i want people to see the beauty of that is on the border of extinction has been extinct Mm -hmm. that something it's critical uh um availability is gone or endangered and so the focus comes back to this sense of of look at the reality look at what's real and you know the color blue it's in our veins, it rivers through us, it's, mm-hmm. it's who we are, it's our water, it's the mountains in a difference, in a distance, sorry, there goes one of my language things, mountains in a distance, mm-hmm. uh, the sky, the waters when they're healthy, you know, it's in everything that uh, that gives us sustenance. Right. And so it's also just the real, uh, you mentioned fado music and, and soda, you know, the the Portuguese concept of, you know, longing and, and missing something. For I've either. used
0: that so many times on this podcast, right? Sadaje or I'm not, I have never. Yeah,
1: Sadaje is how you say I'm, I'm obsessed
0: with that. I'm obsessed yes, with that, that
1: idea. the sort of pronunciation, even better. So thank you for that, <laughs> you know, uh, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's, it's also when you're in the blues and music, you know, in the U.S. version, which, uh, is past photo predates, uh, American blues, mm-hmm. but has similar threads in some ways. And, uh, I wouldn't say it predates the roots of American blues, because that came from indigenous music, it came from African music, it came from so many different uh, uh, mixings, you know, of people in this place. Uh, But it also has the love in it. You know, Fado has love in it. Uh, The blues have love, you know, there's passion there. You know, there's, there's this sense of, of uh of missing something because you belong to it you know it yes. owned you, <laughs> yes. you know? so it's different uh, so it's all in there and i've been working with the title look at this blue since i was an undergrad i wrote a poem mm-hmm. called look at this blue and uh my first uh full collection uh dogwood woman i think or was it uh yeah i think it was dogwood woman uh, that I originally titled, Look at This Blue. Mm. Uh, uh, the Year of the Rat predated Dog World Woman, but it's a chapbook size book. And Dog World Woman was originally titled, Look at This Blue, but the alternative title was Dog World Woman. And the press liked the Dog World Woman better, and they were titles of different poems. And I always thought I wanted to do something big with it. And when I started this, it just was a natural. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. It's like the the story is maybe an apop- apocryphal story about Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It's supposedly he wrote a hundred years of solitude like in a like in a twenty four hour, you know, just like blitz. Like he was going yeah. on vacation. And he he had the idea hit him across. You know, he had to turn yeah.
2: around,
0: You know, the I love the idea that you said that it's you know when you love something you have to you have to hold it accountable. Fair reading to say that the title is the title. Look at this blue is an, is an admonition like look what you've done but also like look at this beauty am i oversimplifying that
1: oh no yeah it's that too it's so many things mm-hmm. uh, yeah and i think it's good to simplify at times so that we also can come directly into a concept and then spread back out you know otherwise we get tunnel vision if we stay in that <laughs> and oh, spread that back out. Yeah. see where it takes us to from there riff on it right right yeah, I
0: believe it was it was the great UCR's write up for the book. It it says, "quote well, This is for your quote." This book was a great purging for me. I wasn't sleeping; I was just writing, which makes all kinds of sense now. You talking about this amazing Montenegrin weekend?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I wonder just about like this this collection, this this poem, mm-hmm. and you know your memoir and a lot of your other work. I mean, your your memoir, obviously. I mean, you've been through some incredible, um, tragic. Beautiful, all the above things. I wonder about the idea of like catharsis. Do you go for like a catharsis in your poetry or is that like a, or is that not necessarily a motive? Like, or did you feel that? Do you feel like a a cleansing?
1: I think more when I was done, I felt like, uh, you know, how when something just fills you with a sense of, yes, got that, you know? And uh, that's how I felt when I finished. I knew Mm -hmm. when it was done, when I came to the last, uh the, the end of the book, it uh, says, it riffs off of a uh, Joni Mitchell. Right. Departs a couple of lines, takes out the middle one and says, will you take me as I am, California. Mm. Uh, her song that came from the romantic feeling of California, I don't feel the romance in that way. I feel the reality.
2: Mm. And
1: uh, so knowing I just said all of this and it's California, it's like, okay, I faced you with all of this. So, will you you take me as I am now that I'm calling you out, you know, as well as being with you and loving you, you know? So, there was that sense of once that popped on the page, I knew I was done. And I was Mm -hmm. got up and I was like, yeah, took another walk and felt pretty good. Waited for my friend to come back from Croatia. She left for the weekend. Mm -hmm. She got back. She goes, Did you, why don't you get done on the book? And I said, I wrote it. And she goes, Are you you happy with it? I said, yeah, this is done. I said, I'm going to hit submit now at your back, and I pushed the button. (laughs) And that was that. You know, I just sent it off. But I I felt very relieved that it was done because it was like things that had been welling up in me for all of those years, Mm -hmm. different elements of the poem or things that I lived through, lived with, Mm -hmm. was party to, uh, witnessed, knew of, and needed to act upon in some way. And this was that. I divulged a lot of very personal things in this as well. Sure. But, you know, even uh, people that think they know me close don't know, you know. But nobody really, you you know, uh, depending on who you are, nobody uh, necessarily knows another person fully, you know, even when you've spent many years with them there's still going to be things popping out, you know?
2: No doubt about it.
1: Yeah. You but... dad, you know that with your kids, right? So <laughs> you know, They're probably not going to get your full story by the time we're done here.
2: <laughs>
1: you know what I mean?
0: That's one of the things. They're, they're six and four, and that's one of the things It's just like, and it's a beautiful thing, like, seeing them, especially with, with COVID, like, you know, they've been so attached to mom and dad. Yeah. And so it's physical proximity for the most part. And it's like to see them, like, on their own, being their own people and not, and, you know, there's a little bit of the fear there. Like, you don't know who they are. You don't know who they're going to be with or what others are going to do. You know, the idea of, you know, putting them out in the world, but it is, it is a beautiful thing to see them be their own person, which, you know, of course is, is direct, not directed, but is, is of course affected by you and by their histories and everything like that. Yeah, no doubt about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that knowing is really important. And uh, you mentioned Simon Ortiz earlier. And, you know, he a lot of his, you know, more profound works have dealt with knowing and his concept of knowing and what, what that means. Mm-hmm. And it can be really different for everybody, I think, you know, right. knowledge base and how we acclimate to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when a purging like this happens, if you want to refer to it that way, for me, it was just a passionate play, you know, I was uh, in a sense of just like, um, attending to uh, responding to calling to all of that in this huge song form of this poem, and, uh, and letting it ride in the various solos that occur the various departures, the various riffs and back with refrains, and and pulling us home again to what matters what's real. Uh, So in following those, for me, it's more like, you know, getting behind an instrument and just seeing what can happen with that if you really give yourself to it. So I feel like it was more of an unfolding than anything else. Uh
0: unfolding. That that's a great way to, to describe it. The the Simon Ortiz epigraph from the memoir is, is something that's the effect of basically like where would I be without language and ideas of memory? And like you said, you can't fully know everyone and even with, with the with language, there's a lot there's so much unsaid. So much is indecipherable, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: The summary of Look at This Blue is basically through Hedge Coke's personal lens, the collection of poems captures California's ecological, environmental, and human beauty but it also speaks of the degradation to the environment, the animal kingdom and humanity. I mean, there's an incredible, um, there are incredible h- historical connections to your, you know, to personal stories, um, you know, violence within your family, um, you know, to, to things like, you know, Ishii, the yeah. uh, the supposed last of his group, right? Yeah. You know, there's so much about the missions. You, you list the massacres, you list the missions, you list the groups of people, The groups of indigenous who were you know missionized, as you use that verb um and it all like like you said a couple a little few minutes ago like you know such a simple title but it just it just fans out in so many ways i'd love for you to talk about um i don't know if i'm saying it correctly the xerxes blue butterfly
1: yeah uh yes which starts out uh well let me see if i can pull it up and i can just read that uh part where it starts here look at this blue Xerxes blue butterfly from the sand dunes of San Francisco first known American butterfly to become extinct due to humans first known and as far as I can tell this is the first creature that uh, settler colonists admitted to uh, extincting uh, in the state and California was formed as a state after uh you know, indigenous for millennial, uh, and then Spain, and then Mexico, and then US, and formed as a state on the premise of genocide. Hmm. So, the governor's declarations were about wiping out indigenous populations. And that was the goal plan, and changing the landscape, which means extincting uh, people, mm-hmm. plants mm-hmm. that exist. I still cannot you know, wrap my head around the idea uh, you pass by these development places where there's this nice rolling hills and they're chopping the tops off to put houses on or, mm. or they're leveling things out uh, so they can have this point I move to flatland for that. You know, it really makes no sense at all mm. uh, this, uh, sort of calamity of changing environments to recreate something that's in someone's mind somewhere else. And destroying what's there and the value without learning anything, mm. uh, you know. In a in a better world, anyone that came here would have learned the languages, would have acclimated to the cultures. Uh, somebody in Shumash territory would have uh, lived Shumash way if they were a good guest there, you know, and would be speaking the languages there. And and uh, and like for instance, when you go to France and you reside there for any long period of time you learn the language you learn the customs you learn the culture you know that's how you buy there uh you know um if that kind of principle had been in effect a lot of this would never have happened hmm. and uh with the sense of colonization being such a thing in creating the state and living in and working for the state uh, uh how can you testify to the state without noting these things, it would be impossible for me um, to ignore what needs to be acknowledged before really speaking about personal experience in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's also that uh, respect for uh, in place. Also going through, you know, years and eras of different um, culture killings that have happened and are still happening in the state including in Riverside here. Riverside, not only uh, Tongva, Cuya Serrano, Luseno people originally, you know, uh, virtually pushed out, although there's many still living in town here, so not completely, of course, uh, but pushed out of, uh, um, say, over the city. Um, and, you know, other people coming in for generations uh, has been going on and at some point in time, this was the first Korea town in the United States.
2: Mm, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, and there was a Chinatown just up the street here, not far from where I live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because of racism, they literally just came and raised the town right. and pushed everybody into L.A. except for a family who refused to live, who still mm-hmm. <laughs> noted here and tributed here as this primary family of Riverside, you know. Uh, but those those calamities are noticed. The Japanese internment camps are noticed. A writer from Riverside who was interned uh, is noticed uh, because these are realities, and what sets the pace for what occurs in the in the contemporary culture, right. uh, based on these uh, figments of or fragments of hatred, of uh, lack of respect, of misunderstanding. And with this butterfly, for me, it stands to testify for all of that because it's a beautiful, beautiful, delicate, and yet strong entity. You know, this organism, this beautiful creature uh, that we no longer have uh, because of simple disrespect. Uh, So there's a call to attention at the beginning. If I might, just before that, do you mind if I read the little prelude just before that? Please do. Okay, so the book opens up with a prelude of my own, and then there's an epigram. Uh, So it starts out with a little invocation, uh, prelude. Once the world was gleaming, open, we entered unknowing, believing all we came to, we must deserve, knowing we did not, faced extinction. And then there's an epigram from Tanya Tagak's retribution. The path we have taken has rotted. Ignite, stand upright, conduct yourself like lightning. And then the Xersus uh, blue butterfly comes in, and so the prelude sets up, um, creates a little invitation to understanding that when we enter anything, be it a book, be it a land space, mm-hmm. uh, even as guest, uh, whether you're welcome or unwelcome guest, there's an unknowingness there. Uh, so very different from original people of the place, original people of Riverside, no matter how many generations you have here, uh, on top of that, uh, there's, there's something different. And so it's a, it's a note of that and note of entry. It also goes back to what, what Simon refers to as the knowing and and the unknowing. And then the Tanya who of course, is a amazing, amazing singer. And, uh, storyteller and uh, weaver of thought and her uh, calls to accountability and indictment and uh love for place and understanding that place from her knowingness, from her family lineages is so incredible. Uh, but she also charges, you know, the population original peoples to conduct yourself like lightning, you know, in this place uh, to have your charge, have your thrum, have your feeling, have yourself. Mm -hmm. you know, in a way that's powerful. Uh, So the stage is set to come to what we're facing, which is the extinctions. Um, And throughout the book, uh, you know, there's a weaving as well of soundscape for me of uh, uh, experiences in that climate, Uh, Mm -hmm. personal experiences, violence upon the person, uh, members of the family. Uh, My mother, for instance, uh, came down from Alberta, Canada uh, via Montreal, where she had been put in a war widows, post-World War II war widows uh, training for some of the first physiotherapists in the country before it was a doctorate degree program and all that. Back then it was, you know, you were in, you did the training, you went to work because of brand new field and they had polio all over. And she came down uh, to work in California and my dad came out to work in California at the same time. They met on a blind date in San Diego, mm-hmm. um, uh, honeymooned in Mexico and San Francisco, left for other jobs in other places. Uh, so they were here before us. And there's this this sense of um, the knowing that kind of skips in there and comes through the different portals of that. And at one point in time, they, when I moved them out to California, they had been in Santa Paula for a uh, very long time, uh, maybe already a couple of decades, it seems to me. And I got a call. I was teaching in Northern Michigan. And my dad said, Can you, uh, do you know where your mom's green card is? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, do you know where her uh, naturalization papers are? Yeah, why? I said, I just packed that box. I'm moving to New Mexico. And he said, I need them. I need them faxed right now. Here's the fax number for INS. Here's the fax number for IRS. And what had happened was he found out IRS on the taxes had been cheating them basically for years because oh. they had mom's citizenship date as her birth date. So they weren't getting all their senior citizen kickbacks. Mm. And uh, so he called them on it and wanted the money. And so the INS came to their trailer in this little senior park in Santa Paula and asked her when was her last time she went to Mexico. And uh, she you know, said their honeymoon and... They're too old to travel and all that, and they loaded her up in the van because she didn't have citizenship paper. Mm. And she's from Alberta, Canada. And uh, they told my dad he could have her back if he could prove she was a citizen.
2: Oh and my gosh!
1: we away, and she was in her eighties.
0: Well, that's yeah. a, that's the a line from the from the poem, right? It's um, it's basically like you know, you or the speaker saying, you know, hey, she was she's Canadian. Yeah, it, it was some of the effect of ah, oh, she's Mexican enough.
2: Yeah,
1: that was my that was me saying
2: uh, my wow.
1: dad on you know on the phone, she's Canadian. Wow. <laughs> and he said, California Mexican enough.
2: Huh. You know,
1: short black hair, dark eyes, put her in the van. Hmm. She doesn't have a citizenship card, put her in a van. Wow. Legally fine, so she wasn't driving or anything, so no no state ID on her. And in her eighties, she wasn't going anywhere. And uh, you know they were just little old people in their trailer, one-bedroom trailer, not All bothering right. anyone. But he asked them for the money back, and that was their response. IRS called INS, and Whoa. they her up. So she was almost deported to Mexico. What they literally, her, you know, in in determined. You know, she was held until I could get them the information.
0: Well, there's, there's so much in there about, about the dehumanization. Like you're just talking about, obviously about racism and white supremacy. Um, You know, one of the lines that really struck, struck me was um, in, you're working with one of the older gentlemen in the Tenderloin and it was something to the effect of like he or we were two generations from fluency.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. As, as, you know, indigenous peoples and you know, how, how far away yet slash how close you know those histories are to us there's obviously a lot about the homeless and gentrification you know displacement obviously you know of all kinds intrusions you know and and there's an accountability for you know accountability called for for genocides for of peoples again you list the groups you list i mean then that amazing i don't know four or five pages you list those so many of these um species that are I guess extinct or at least threatened, right?
1: Yeah, uh, yes, both. And, uh, you know, some of that was also from my studies when I was a historical interpreter, and some of it was more, uh, while I was writing, I was also literally researching simultaneously some for spellings plants I didn't necessarily have the spellings for, yeah. and, uh, but was familiar with more common names for them kind of thing, mm. uh, and others, because it was like, well, what is like today? What's going today? You know, so I was peppering it as well at the same time with uh, updates, my memory with updates and uh, earlier research. Uh, so, you know, the plants, you know, the earth is the basis of everything. Uh, Aristotle in culture, uh, Western Europe, uh, Man is like, you know, some kind of king and independence in a human being is like everything except the state, the state, the government, the state that one lives in rules all of that. And then the independent person. And then we get down through structures of other life forms and mammals come next because they have, you know, same way of giving birth and on down through the system and this order that was created by this person who probably in this grave if he knew.
0: Arbitrary, right?
1: Right. And then here, they're different because in that structure, the dust is the dirt beneath your feet is like nothing. It's just there to resource. But, you know, in, in uh, the original sense for this part of the world, this Uh, the Western Hemisphere, the Occidental Hemisphere, and island nations. You know, the earth is everything. The sky is everything. The cosmos is everything. The waters are everything. And so it's that base first, you know, and, and then the creatures upon it, you know, and the respect for all of the creatures and kinship value to creatures within an environment which teaches people language. Because living in a particular environment constructs a language because you are adhering to what's around you so your thoughts your concepts are in that place and so the language is generated by the environment by all of these creatures and by what exists there and so that takes precedence Mm -hmm. and when it comes down to it we're just lowly you know we're just we're just here to serve this environment to take care of it to uh to um Yes, nourish from it. Yes, have sustenance from it. But out of respect for and replenishment and restoration and reciprocity are like everything. So it's all different mindscape uh, that, you know, is is utterly important to living within an environment
2: mm-hmm.
1: and to taking care of it properly. So we don't end up in what we've ended up in through the sense of capitalization, resourcing, feudalism. Mm-hmm. when you get down to it monarchies, kingships, you know, this domain, 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 an eminent domain, you know, these sure. kind of structures and contracts which put people into places of destruction. Uh, so it's sort of a little bit de ton- de to uh, flip things around, be faced with the facts of the matter and and bring in the more beautiful aspects after seeing you know how this plays out and so the song is really or the poem is really mm. playing out the scape of things as they are as they've been and uh and holding that uh present uh to hopefully encourage to flip all of this you know and find a deeper space
0: well there's a profound line talking about you know the the commodification the like you said, eminent domain and such, the, the line is let state small S be free of the state capital S. Yeah, thanks. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just, you know, just the, uh, the connections you make are, are amazing. I mean, you know, there are connections, but you make them more direct, you know, even you know, just ideas of dehumanization and, you know, decline, you know, so sad. The story of like Gabriel Fernandez, the kid from Palmdale. Yeah. Um you know the homophobia of his family the abuse in his family. Yeah. Right. Um you know ice and you know use of you put you write the use of use of force use of cold mm-hmm. I'm talking about ice the you know, yeah. customs and enforcement. Absolutely. Right. And um you know to to you individually how many times I'm paraphrasing here how many times was I given up objectified mm-hmm. rejected left for dead. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know I'm I'm over I don't want to Mickey Mouse and say, you know, but it ends on a hopeful note. But like you said, there's there's love there for the state. And um, one of the, the the excerpts is about let, you know, let love lead. Let hand that pummeled rest. Let scowl rest. Face relieve. Let shoulders locked high. Tight recede. Let back stiff, sore, bent open. Take heart. Earth hears every tremble touch. Feels every foot listens now brings her justice protection and peace and that's not the end of it you know the Mitchell line is but in a way that's you know full circle of you talk about the you know stewardship of the earth and service to and you know as we kind of wrap up here just I'm, a, I'm doubly amazed that this was written in, in a weekend yeah uh, I mean just uh what a what a document what a what a incredible like recollection of this time, but also something that's universal and, and without you know, outside of time. And uh, you know, congratulations on all of the great work you do. We haven't Thank even you. scratched the surface about all the service work you do and, and your writing is definitely a service. So thanks so much for letting us, you know, get inside the head and hear some of the, the, the rationale and the, and the background. It's just been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you. And yeah, the let lovely lead is an interlude in the books. So also mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. I'm in the podcast. you're doing such great work for all of us in literature, but also for the readers, you know. So thank you for doing your work, being who you are in the world, and for helping uh, put this in place. Thank you so much.
0: that That means so much, thank you. and I hope you know maybe we can meet in real life and you know there's some great ones down in Riverside and in the Inland Empire yeah. in LA and um, uh, you know California, we've got some we've got some incredible talent here, so
1: I would love to do that. Let's do it.
0: And enjoy the, the awards and enjoy everything that's coming up.
1: Oh, thank you. And all love to you and your kids. Take thank care.
0: You. Thank you so much. A huge thanks to Allison Coke for episode 151. And good luck to her on November 16th along with Ingrid Rojas-Contreras and Sonora Reyes and Jamil John Kochai, all of them have been nominated for the National Book Awards. Wow, good luck to them. You can now subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will P-O-1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube watch and subscribe to the Chills at Will podcast channel. Please subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast while you're checking out this episode. Sign up now for the Chills at Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. My last name being spelled R-I-E-H-L as in Larry. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look in an often-ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on this episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 152 with Tommy Dean, author of a flash fiction chat book, special like the people on TV and the editor at Fractured Lit. You've stopped the story was included in Best Microfiction 2019. The episode with this flash fiction writer extraordinaire will air on November 15th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Alison Hedge Coke, whose works like... Look at this blue and rock ghost willow deer give you chills at will.